Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. How's it going, Night fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon alongside Eric Lopez. And uh, uh, neither of us went to New York, Eric. And boy, <laughs> if there was one time when I wish the NIT had a consolation game, it was it, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bummed out. Basketball season's over. I, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of going through withdrawals. It's uh... But this is the latest our basketball season has lasted. It's true. So, it's just true. So, so it's not so a bad. A I'm thing. not saying. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's a lot of positives. It's just like kind of like wow. You know, that's, right. that's uh, what a what a what a what a year. But we'll talk about that. We'll put a bow on uh, UCF's basketball season. Of course, the night's coming up short in um, in the uh, NIT semifinal against TCU. We'll talk about that. We'll talk uh, some softball. We'll talk some baseball. Uh, and we've got uh, some, uh, also some golf news to talk about a little bit here. This will be a we'll focus pretty much on on wrapping up basketball. I think uh, you know I, I want to try and you know really wrap it up. I guess in the next couple of weeks here because you know we're heading towards the part of the spring where you know we're running out of things to talk about. Uh, but we'll certainly have some uh, have some more guests on to kind of chat about that going forward uh, as well. Don't forget to uh, go to blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, for the latest uh, on you know any of the big things going on with UCF, um, your independent voice of the UCF fan. Uh, don't forget, you can also follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon and Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. Look us up on Facebook. Just search blackandgoldbanneret.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, where you can leave us a review. Please do. iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. And, of course, all other affiliates thereof. Uh, so let's dive in by talking about uh, the news that was from the NIT. Um, UCF making it to the semifinals, of course, but uh, coming up short against TCU. What a ride it was uh, for this team. They come up short 68-53 to in a game that, um, boy, early on, Eric, it looked really good. At the five-minute mark of the first half, UCF was up 29-19, and things were looking good. Matt Williams was hitting shots. The inside-outside game was working. And then Jamie Dixon, the head coach of TCU, made some sort of an adjustment uh, after Matt Williams hit a three that put UCF up 10 at that point. And from that point forward, TCU went on a 25-5 run, pushed it out to double digits, uh, their largest lead was uh, was 15, but uh, basically they finished with their largest lead. So, but uh, all of a sudden you look up and you know UCF led by two at the half, but it was tied. UCF got two to take the lead, 31-29 at the half. TCU just kept making shots, and all of a sudden it was 45 to 34. Basically, five minutes into the um, to, to the second half. So, I guess my first question for you is what 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 in the heck happened in that game? What what why did this turnaround take place? I think TCU turned up its intensity and uh, took their le- game to another level. And I don't think UCF could match it. I thought UCF at times offensively was thrown off the rhythm. TCU's deep ball pressure was very good. And I just think, you know, the Knights just couldn't get into a rhythm there. And I think TCU, give them credit. They're a very good defensive team. Jamie Dixon from Pittsburgh, we know him very well. Mm -hmm. He knows what he's doing. And I thought they turned it up and really got the momentum. And I could tell UCF got lost some confidence, I thought, offensively at times. They were not so sure what they were doing. BJ was off his game. So 
you know, TCU is very good. I mean, TCU is a very good basketball team and uh, tough from the Big 12. And, you know, it was a, it was a tough matchup. I was worried about that because uh, you know, we've talked about it all year, Jeff. The times UCF offensively has those dry spells where they just kind of uh, go into a bit of a slump. They just can't get in a rhythm. They can't get certain things to go down. And uh, I think that's what happened uh, during that time period. My thought on it was TCU beat us at our own game all the way around. They out-rebounded us 44-35, to and we're one of the top rebounding teams in the country. They out-rebounded us. Um, Matt Williams, the, the major adjustment I think they made, and it started with this. I mean, there were a number of adjustments that they made, but they started closing out much better on Matt Williams. And when that happened, so he got off to that hot start, and I'm looking, I'm looking at the first half box right here. In the first half, Matt was 5 of 10, for 13 points. In the second half, uh, he was 0 for 7, 0 for 4 from three-point range, and scored a total of two points on two free throws. So that tells me that they keyed in on Matt Williams, and he said, we're going to keep him from, <laughs> keep him from shooting from the outside. Taco Fall got into foul trouble. That was the other thing that happened. And when you do that, you kill off the inside-outside game that, that, that we have. Let's see, Taco in the first half had uh, two fouls. He picked up a third foul, I think, early in the second half, and then he had to sit for a while. And that, and that kind of really, really put a damper on things. They, uh, he had to sit for, I think, the last few minutes of the, uh, of the first half, picked up the third foul, had to sit again, and that pretty, mu- and that pretty much did him because then they keyed in on Matt Williams. He couldn't, get, he, he couldn't get open. He could not get open in the second half. Uh, and then when that happens... And his shot's not fallen. I think what I think this is where a little bit of inexperience that's left with B.J. Taylor kind of creeps in. Because if Matt's not making his shot, then B.J. ceases to trust him and says, all right, this isn't working. I'm going to have to do it myself. And uh, in the second half, uh, let's see. That's the first half box. In the second half, B.J. was 3 of 11 from the field for 8 points. And and that was that. It was it. It, it just kind of. It wasn't that we ran out of gas or anything. In fact, I think that had we won this game, I think if we played Georgia Tech, I think we would have beaten Georgia Tech. I watched the Georgia Tech game, and I was not impressed with that team. Um, but Jamie Dixon made the right adjustment and called the right number. And it's credit to him. Credit to you know. I mean, he knew he was also playing against a team that had a seven man rotation. And if Matt Williams is not hitting, who else is going to hit from the outside? The answer is nobody, at least right now. Okay, and so you got to give him you got to give him credit. They they won the game. They figured it out. Not everybody can um, can, can figure all that stuff out, but TCU has the athletes to do it. They're a Big Twelve team. They have the athletes to do it, and they final and, and they were able to unlock uh, the key to beating UCF in this game. What do you think? No, I think you hit it in the in the head. I think that's very valid. Um, they beat them in their own game. They were physical, and they took BJ out of the game. You know this. UCF, UCF's gonna have a hard time winning games if BJ Taylor is not playing well. I mean, that's as simple as that. And Matt Williams didn't wasn't drilling bombs, you know, from thirty feet. So. But even more so, if BJ feels like he has to do it all himself, that's mm-hmm. that that I think is the key because we've seen this before, where he takes it upon himself to actually to actually do this and and. And you want him to just stop and be like, no, 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 relax for a second. Just trust your guys. Trust your guys. It'll work. And and when now sometimes it works. He he takes over a game like he did in the um, in the Cincinnati game. He'll take over a game, and the other team can't stop him. But credit to TCU's defense because they were able to harass him getting down to the get, you know getting into the lane. Um, he could he couldn't hit on his pull up game. And he couldn't, and he was just getting, when he got down low, uh, he was in too much traffic to be able to finish, and he couldn't finish late in the second half. Yeah, no, I think you're right. So, look, give credit, TCU was a better team, I thought. I mean, I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. TCU's very good. Right. You know, Jamie Dixon knows what he's doing. It's the second time UCF's been eliminated by a Jamie Dixon head led team. I mean, uh, that's right. Back hit, in hit back in yeah. 2000. And uh, we, we, I remember watching that game in a game that it was a game that UCF, I thought, uh, had a chance to win that first of the two straight A Sun uh, A Sun games. 
when uh, Pitt was in the Big East. Yeah, we lost that game. It, we actually had a lead in that game in the second half. Yep, 2004. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's still a great year. Well, it's been a fun ride, and I think UCF built a lot of positives and momentum uh, on and off the court moving forward to the following season. Mm-hmm. So as we kind of look back now and, uh, and, and figure this out, what is – first of all, it's, it's a shame that it ends like this because, I, like I said in the opening, you know, back, in the, back in the day, the NIT, by the way, used to have a consolation game. And I got to figure out when exactly they stopped doing this, but they stopped doing this. Um, I feel like it would, you know, the one year that I wish they actually did have a consolation game, of course, this year, because then you would have gotten that second game in Madison Square Garden. Um, yeah, and uh, it would have been nice. I mean, it would have been nice to see UCF play one more game. It would have been against Cal State Bakersfield. But, um, but, they, but you know, as it is, you get, the, you get one just one game, one shot in the garden. Um, it's, it's, actually, it was Andrew Fegley who posted this uh, question to me. Do, 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 we, do you think that UCF, what does UCF really get out of this? Because I, I know that you're probably, you're probably not making money making the extra trip and all that, you know, even though you're going to a city with a big airport and, you know, your travel party's not nearly as big as it is for, say, football. But did it, do you think that this works for UCF? Was this was this something that that in the long is in the long term beneficial for UCF as an athletic program? Oh, absolutely! I okay. mean, think of the exposure they got on television throughout the week. Uh, I think you saw where like Taco what was it like a Taco Fall head or something like that was on mm-hmm. the NBC Today Show, something like that. Uh, did you see that? So I did. I saw <laughs> there was. Uh, there was a ton of of UCF stuff all over the uh, all all over uh, all over television. I mean, it, it, yeah. all over all over, in particular over you know Today Show and all that kind of stuff on the day. Yeah, leading up so, to it. yeah, right. So you had that, and uh, you know the fans that followed this team. All of a sudden, they was watching UCF basketball they hadn't watched in years. And yeah, I think there's a lot of positives that I don't think you could put a dollar sign on it. I mean, the ten thousand you and I were there. We talked about it last week, and I think that's a lasting impact on this program. People will be excited about this product going into the season uh, coming up. So, mm-hmm. you know that that's to me the big takeaway. I don't think uh, the dollars matter in this situation. I mean, so I, they made a run. They got some exposure nationally. People are talking about their program nationally, uh, and you know Joe Lenardi was talking about their. Uh, you know, chances for post NCAA next year and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's just, it's a lot of significance positives there uh, off the court, even more than on the court. And, you know, it's, I, I think in retrospect, Jeff, I think it worked out perfectly that they didn't make the NCAA tournament and made the NIT because if they would have made the NCAA, they would have been a low seed. Yeah. And I, you know, the fans would have gotten into it. But they would have most of them would have probably watched it from home because it's a quick turnaround. Some would have made the trip, but it's a quick turnaround. And then, you know, let's say they lose in the first round or maybe the second. Oh, that was great. But the fact that you in the NIT you got to host two games, especially one with your first sellout and people got to visually see it in person and, and was able to connect with Johnny Dawkins and that speech he gave to the fans and the students in person from the court. with Everybody's standing around them. Ten thousand. And uh, that that stuff you can't you just can't put a number on that, and I think that's the 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 big impact moving forward for the program. I do think the exposure on ESPN is obviously tremendous, like you mentioned. Um, now UCF has to play the expectations game, and I mentioned this actually. Christian Brewery sort of mentioned this on Twitter, and I kind of piggybacked off of that while we were watching the game. I said, you know, now the expectation game begins because I'll guarantee you that a lot of fans. Let, let's say. UCF gets to the NIT again next year. Now, instead of this year, we're like, wow, okay, wow. What a great NIT run. What a magical time. Then all of a sudden, if the same exact thing happens next year, fans are going to be disappointed, which I think is unfortunate because it's still, you know, I know the NIT is the NIT, you know, not invited tournament and all that kind of stuff. But it's hard to play postseason basketball because these teams in the NIT, they're not bad teams, all right? And the other larger point, though, is that UCF being in the American Conference, this is where it almost kind of becomes a disadvantage in a way. Because the American is in this no-man's land between the, between the big conferences and the, and the mid-major one-bid leagues. 
where I I personally think UCF is just as good, if not better than some teams that actually uh, that actually made the NCAA tournament as an at large. But the problem that they run into is the perception of the American as not a very as, as you know basically one step above a one bid league. You know, I think it's a false perception, but the perception of the American as that kind of handcuffs the teams that come out of it because the American should have more bids uh, out of the you know into the NCAA based on the quality of the overall the overall quality of the conference, and they don't. And that that to me is unfortunate, and it and it kind of puts UCF into a bind where they could have a really good NCAA worthy, possibly at large worthy season, and get stuck in the NIT because of the general perception of their conference. What do you think about that? Mm, I hope so. <laughs> I hope the league gets more bids in. Um, you know, you look at the next year, you know, it's going to be interesting with the American conference. Can they crack the powers, you know, yeah. top five, top six in the league, for example? I mean, like, I think they should, but, but the question is, does the committee, I don't know if the committee does. And that's, and that sucks. Well, I mean, part of I me, mean, look, I mean, let's look at the leagues they're going up against. I mean, the Big 12 is very good. The uh, ACC is very good. Obviously, the Big 10 still very good, even though this year they were down, but they're still very good. Uh, you have got the Pac-12 you're dealing with, and the Big East is very good in basketball. So, look, I think the American Conference, this was, I thought, it was a transition year with a lot of new coaches in the league. And it's going to come down to can Memphis get back to being Memphis under Tubby Smith? Can Connecticut bounce back after a really bad year? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that's going to be a couple of the questions. Then you got, you know, you got teams like UCF and Houston. I think they're in a similar boat. Calvin Sampson's done a nice job there. Yeah. And you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's about winning marquee games out of conference, uh, helping out your RPI. And I think coach Dawkins is going to schedule tough. Uh, there are going to be at that Orlando tournament next year and Thanksgiving weekend, West Virginia's in that field. So there's a possibility UCF plays West Virginia, for example, uh, there's been speculation about some of the other com- uh, teams that UCF might be scheduling that is certainly power conferences or the Big East. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's, you know, you got to win those games and that's how you get respect. Look, this is a league that's capable. It's gotten three, four bids. Uh, so it's not like it's not capable of it. It's just, you know, like you got to be patient with it. Again, there's a lot of new faces in this league. And, um, and I think for UCF now, this was a positive step. And I think this will help them. Traditionally, teams that make deep runs in the NIT tend to uh, make the tournament the following year or at least get the benefit of the doubt or get a, an extra long look. So I think last year was the exception when George Washington won but uh, or was in the deep run. So it's it's you know, it's going to take some time at the league, um, but it's going to come down. I, I, I'm always a believer that every league is only as good as your backbone of your league mm-hmm. in certain sports. And let's be honest, I think in the American, when it Memphis and UConn are good to go along with the others, that's when I think the league gets an extra spark. And I think UCF will be fine in that regard with Johnny Dawkins. Johnny Dawkins helping will help. And I also think this. I think next year UCF will be in a lot of television packages much friendlier. In other words, they'll be on ESPN, ESPN2 games instead of ESPN News all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Just so, let me get, let me give you this based that this is you know based on at large um, uh, records by conference in in the NCAA tournament this year. ACC had nine bids. Big East had seven. Big Ten had seven. Big Twelve six. SEC five. Pac twelve four. Then you have the A ten, Atlantic ten with three, the West Coast Conference with two, and the American with two. Should the American have had more than just two bids in the NCAA? If you just if you just think about these general conferences and 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 their and the fields that they put in, like you know, should the American have had at least as many as as the Atlantic Ten? Uh, I mean, who are you making an argument for? Are you making an argument for Houston? I mean, are you who are you, who are you making yeah, an make argument? It, let's make an argument for Houston. I think the problem that hurt Houston is they got knocked out early in the conference tournament. They lost to Connecticut. Uh, so that didn't help their cause. Plus they have a lot, you know, it's not like, you know, the thing that hurt Houston, if you look at their conference, uh, non-conference, they didn't really beat anybody. In fact, they lost to a bad LSU team. So, yeah. um, that, I, that, and it goes back to, you got to win some non-conference games. That's, that's, yeah, how you, that, that's true. That's true. I mean, I think my other, you know, my other point was, you know, like, could you have seen, you know, 
objectively speaking, St. Mary's was the second team out of the West Coast Conference. Gonzaga, obviously, 34-1. and one. Okay, fine. But, yeah, and, and I'm just kind of spitballing here, but um, but head-to-head, you think UCF would beat, say, St. Mary's? Who knows? Where's the game played at? I mean, St. Mary's a good team. They uh, they won their uh, first-round game as a, so in the NCAA, so they kind of yeah. prove they, they belong. I mean, they play, they have had a long rivalry with Gonzaga. Uh, I see your point. Look, I mean, I do think that the committee uses the RPI way too much. I wish there was other formulas they could adapt to and, like, use more. Um, but, you know, again, I think the American situation – look, I mean – you're right. I think the, the 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 committee has to open their eyes a little bit more. I think you know. I thought UCF had UCF beaten SMU. Here, I'll I'll side with you on this. Mm-hmm. Had UCF beaten SMU in the semis and gotten to the final, I think they should have gotten consideration for the NCAA tournament. I think you're right about that. Yeah, uh, and at least be in the conversation. I'm not saying get in. At least be in the conversation and stuff like that. Um, but you know. But again, the league's got to, I think, win some games out of conference. That's where you make your butter. And uh, I think, look, I mean, we say this, you know, look at the Missouri Valley. It used to be the Missouri Valley would get multiple teams into the field. This mm-hmm. year, the, the team that went 17-1 and one or whatever in the regular season didn't even make the NCAAs, Illinois right. State. Yeah, and we so, beat them up there in Chicago. So and UCF beat them. So I, I think now – you hope that next year with all these coaches in the second year and, and, and the experience, you know, you look at next year, obviously, I think UCF and Houston are going to be two teams people are going to be talking about at the top. SMU, obviously, we'll see how they come, what they come back. Cincinnati in the mix, obviously. So, I mean, that's four strong teams. And then, you know, who knows what Tubby will do in his second year in Memphis. So I think it'll be a better league. And uh, if you can win some marquee games, again, out of conference. I mean, that's kind of the thing that will be key. And I think, Coach Dawkins, if you follow his philosophy, he will schedule tough. And I think that's going to help UCF from an RPI and just from a scheduling standpoint and just kind of knowing how good this team is. And I think it'll in the committee's eye. Some big questions as UCF, you know, obviously we finished the year 20, you know, 24 and 12. Amazing. Great. It's a great year. Second best, second winningest year in program history. Um, here's who we're losing this year. Tank Effiani's gone um, as a senior. Uh, Nick Banyard is gone uh, as a redshirt senior. Uh, and then, of course, Matt Williams. Um, it's tough to see those guys go uh, because they did really contribute and contribute well. But you got the new guys coming in. You got um, guys like Terrell Allen. You've got uh, Cesar DeJesus, uh, Dan Griffin, Roca Silvitas, um, uh, Chance McSpadden will be back. Uh, you got a number of guys out there, and obviously, I'm, I almost left him out. Aubrey Dawkins, uh, who's tra- who's transferred over from Michigan, Coach Dawkins' son, uh, who's who's six foot six swing guy, who's gonna who, who everyone is is going nuts about how 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 good this guy is. Um, I would had guys tell me, you know, you don't see in practice, but sometimes the twos, the the guys on the second team, beat up on the ones, the guys on the first team. And uh, and and it shows. And if that's true, then that's then that's that's good to see. That's fun to see. You know, that that means the future is bright. I think my larger question, though, is, and uh, I would love to put this question to Taylor Young or Mike O'Donnell at some point. We'll have them on on an episode later on. But um, Taco Fall, there's already some buzz about him going to the NBA. I know your answer, I think, is probably the same as mine, that you know that you and I both agree that he should not. I'll never begrudge a kid for uh, for taking his shot at the NBA um, because you just don't know the circumstances, right? Um, yeah. yeah. All things being equal, I think that I think that Taco should stay one more season at the very least um, because he does have, I think, have some growth to 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 encounter on at least on the offensive side. Do you make anything of the speculation surrounding him um, taking a shot at the NBA or do you think it's all a red herring? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I Here's the thing, because I cover the NBA, obviously, on the side. Mm-hmm. I don't think he fits today's NBA game right now. So I really don't understand how declaring early because I don't even I don't he's not a first round pick like not even close he's not really polished around the rim he's not really athletic he's really tall I think there's room for improvement 
I don't see him fitting in a league right now in the NBA where small ball is the it thing right now in the league. So I don't see the, well, you know, could he be drafted? Sure, people always take potential, but I don't see him as a first-round pick. I think he's at best a second-round pick. And I, I, I think he's better off staying here, getting his education, and improving his game. If he can improve his game like he did from last year to this year and improve from this year to next year, then we might have a conversation. But I, I just don't – and this is a loaded draft that's coming up, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so I, 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 I don't get it. I don't get it at all. I hope – I hope he gets good advice. And I think you see a fans there where I'm going with this. As you recall, there was Jacoby Glenn, mm-hmm. a couple defensive player of the year at UCF, decided to declare early, even though really against the wishes of the coaching staff. Yeah, George O'Leary was unhappy about that. No, and it wasn't because, oh, I want my player back. It was just like, you're not you're you know, not, not going to. Yeah. And he didn't get drafted. He didn't get drafted. Now, a credit to Jacoby, he has still worked his, you know, what off, and he's turned himself to a solid NFL player with the Chicago Bears and the quarterback. But I do worry, uh, and not just, you know, I just I think in college basketball as a whole, that kids get a lot of bad advice. Yeah, you could be a potential late first, or you know, there's only sixty some picks, and. I just it's a, it would be a mistake in my I, I just would be perplexed by it, especially since I get a sense that this kid's pretty smart, pretty bright. Um, so, yeah, I, I just I don't see it, to be honest with you. I, I do think there is a spot for him in the league as a as a as a rim protector if if he's able to, you know, Sort of speed up his game a little bit, um, right? Yeah, I mean, you're you, he's not going to be the small ball big guy. He's not going to be, um, he's not going to be you know anything like say an Anthony Davis or any of that. I mean, it's that's just not in the cards. But he can be a rim protector. I think certainly off the bench, if you have a team that decides to go go anti small and play big, I think he he becomes a very a project that you know certain coaches may certainly salivate over but is that but is that really worth going declaring early i don't think it is but again (laughs) i'm not the one who you know who's going to advise him on that decision you know that's my only thing i hope and i think he i I like to think he will i I just hope he gets good advice on that i just i I do think that his the possibility of him sorry to interrupt but I do think yeah. that the possibility of him sticking around at UCF is better considering the fact that he's got an NBA coaching staff around him. Right. I, I think that the fact that he's he's under the tutelage of Johnny Dawkins, Johnny is going to present him with, you know, hey, look, I, I've been here. You know, I, I know I, I've, I've played in the NBA. I know my NBA. I have my NBA contacts. And here's what they tell me about you. And you should probably you should probably stick around stick around here for a little bit longer. I think that that is certainly more helpful in general than you know if he had a coaching staff say that had no NBA exposure, no NBA experience, and then he would and then he could easily say you know well how do how do how do I know that you have your that that I you have my best best interests um, in mind. Yeah, I hope so. We'll see. I, I would be shocked if he declared. I'll be honest. I'd be I, I I do too. I I think it would be it would be. <laughs> I don't want to say a disaster, a tragedy, or any of those kinds of things. I think no, that's too no. strong. But it would be it would not be a good day for UCF for Taco Fall if he left. Um, if he left that early, I think. Um, and, and because you know, because like I said, I still think he has a lot more. Um, a lot more development to do. I think he's come a very long way. He has a long way uh, to go, as do a number of his teammates, B.J. Taylor included. So uh, it'll be, I think that the rotations next year are going to be really interesting to work out, especially with all the new guys coming in. That's going to be very interesting to see. And who hits the weight room this year? You know, who's who takes their who takes advantage of their opportunity and seizes it? So um, this will be something that we'll have to follow. Um, 
as as uh, as the as the summer and then the fall uh, progress as we get ready for next year. All right, let's take a quick breather. We come back. We'll talk a little softball. Uh, we'll talk a little baseball, and we will uh, take a look at what else is going on around the world of UCF here uh, in just a little bit. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is back after this. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. We continue uh, this week talking a little softball. And uh, Eric, you and I were just at uh, what was a pretty emotional day uh, for uh, UCF softball as the Knights uh, defeat the UNF Ospreys in a game that was quite tight. Um, final tally was 2-1. to one. And uh, UCF gets the victory uh, in back of uh, Cassidy Brewer's RBI uh, uh, RBI hit in the sixth. But uh, emotional for a different reason, because uh, UCF honored one of their own who's on the UNF coaching staff. Yeah, it was kind of surreal. Shelby Turnier, uh, his first year in assistant, doing a good job with a pretty improved UNF softball team and uh, came as her first return trip to campus since her career ended in May in the regionals in Gainesville in 2016, because people forget, you know, once the season ended, Jeff, uh, they went bus back to campus and then she packed up her stuff and went to Chicago to play for the bandits in the NPFs mm-hmm. and uh, went on to win the NPF championship. So One hell of a mid season acquisition, right? But we you are know, then she pitched and won the NPF championship for the bandits. And then at coming back from Chicago, she interviews in Jacksonville for an open job at UNF and she gets the job. So <laughs> it, it was a wild uh, year there for her, but uh, so it was, yeah, it was great to see her back and a lot of, uh, you know, familiar face and, you know, the UCF decided right now, you know, uh, it will kind of uh, celebrate her and then Allison time returning and Stephanie best returning and Natalie land returning uh, for the greats players in the program. And uh, they have, you know, uh, get the, the good to get them on and uh, so, uh, honor them before the game. It was fun. It was very fun and uh, very, very uh, surreal day, to be honest with you. That's why my voice is a little uh, taken up. I'm certainly drained emotionally. I think for a lot of people, UCF got the win. That was the important thing, no question, against a pretty good UNF team. They needed that going into conference, but mm-hmm. uh, on the road against ECU coming up. But yeah, it was just, uh, it was uh, overwhelming, to be honest with you, Jeff. I'm just saying, well, it was very. Uh, you know, it was uh, I had to definitely at times hold my emotions a little bit, uh, you know, from from, te- you know, as I was doing the uh, the event there. So that that was it was cool. It was good. It was good to see everybody back. It was good. To, it was a unique, unique situation there, uh, to say the least. I was joking with um, Shelby um, and it was good to see, you know, it was good to see her. Obviously, you know, Allison was out there and yeah. Allison with her six week old son. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I was like, how you doing, Allison? She's like, I'm doing all right. I'm hanging in there. Um, Natalie looks, you know, Natalie Natalie was there. It was good seeing her for the first time in a a while. Um, Yeah, yeah, that was the thing. We've seen Stephanie before. You know, actually, we caught up with her actually right before the season started. But, um, you know, and, 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 you know, and it was good seeing them and Kaylee Novak out there, you know, her former teammate as well. You know, it's easy for us to forget. You know, it seems like Shelby, you know, it was out there for a, a while ago, you know, a, a, seems like a while ago, but it was just last year. And Shelby is, uh, um, and, and you know, now in her coaching staff, by the way, I asked, uh, I asked coach, uh, Gillespie about that, you know, she, cause you know, to her, her coaching tree is kind of expanding pretty quickly. I mean, we yeah. spent as long in time in college softball as you have as, as coach has, you know, that's, um, that's certainly, um, you know, it's it's going to reveal itself. But here's here's what Coach had to say about um, about Shelby being on the other side. 
You know, you see Shelby coaching, and you know Jeff was with us too. That's coaching for UNF also. Um, we've got a lot of players now that are out there coaching, and and we feel as coaches that if we're keeping that excitement in our players that they want to coach and give back, then we're doing our job. So it, it's always exciting to see them giving back and, and helping the next generation. Yeah, so I I I, I agree. I, th- I think that that's kind of like the the underrated part of Coach Gillespie's legacy is how many coaches have. Um, have come out of this. How many people have gone into coaching? You know, that have come out of her program. I mean, even you know, not just people who coached at UCF. You know, folks like you know Stephanie Best had a time at UCF. Hillary Barrow was at UCF for a little while. She had a couple of former coaches. Uh, you know, a couple other players. You know, Jen Jen Whitley, um, but also you know, players who've gone on to coach in other schools as well, and also former assistant coaches who've gone on to other schools as well. So, um, you, know, you know, Renee's. Renee's mark is out there, and I think that's you know that for me is encouraging to see because everyone knows, you know, she's she's been there for a long time, you know, and and that's fun to see it considering we've seen how this program just started, and uh, and there she and and you know now look at look at who we see all over the place, right? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, I mean, Ruben Felix obviously is at Ole Miss, for example, to. To your point, Jerice Olson is at North Dakota State, back at her alma mater, coaching there. Shelby's at UNF. Mackenzie Hoon, who was on the team the last four years, she's a assistant at D two in um, at uh, Palm Beach Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Danielle Brewer, who played here from 2012 to 2013, is at Shorter. You have Jessica Yavari, who's a a volunteer coach at Stetson. Kaylee Novak's a volunteer at UCF. Uh, it could go on and on. Hillary, you mentioned, is at FIU, closer to home with family down there at FIU, doing a good job there. So, yeah, it goes on and on. Lindsey Enders, who you covered, mm-hmm. is now starting up a program up in Virginia at Stratford, like a small school there. Right. So she's a head coach now over there, um, building a program from scratch. So it just tells you the success. And usually with coaches, if you have a coaching tree, uh, that means you've been successful. And I think that's, that tells you the story and had to be unique because the funny thing about it is Renee's never actually faced a former player before. Uh, so that was a first. And I would imagine, (laughs) and I would imagine, I, I feel like, and knowing uh, all the parties there, I had to be a little mixed emotions there. Um, you know, I know they hugged afterwards and everything was good. Uh, there was no, you know, so it, it's, um, it's surreal because you have to beat them. You have to win. I mean, Jeff Conrad, uh, is the yeah. other assistant at UNF. He was a volunteer coach at UCF in 2015. So, uh, th- there's, there's names there and, and that's a compliment to Renee and, uh, you know, they're, they're good people. And, um, it's a, it's a credit to her and the success she's had at UCF. And, uh, but I, I know it, it had to be very mixed emotions because you're facing people you care about. It was surreal. It was for me. Uh, just being there, and I'm not just I'm just a broadcaster. It was very surreal, um, just to see Shelby do her thing, and it was weird. I mean, it was funny. I talked to her before the game, and it, it was real because I joked I had to go to the visiting dugout. I'm like, I'm not used to being on the visiting side. Yeah, I had no idea how to get there. <laughs> they don't go there often. So, right. uh, but no, it was uh, it was cool. It was fun. It was uh, it was uh, it was a unique night. Uh, and, and as she mentioned, really, you think about it, the four eras in UCF softball history, you know, you go back to 2002, 2005 at the beginning when you were there as a student broadcaster, that was kind of the Stephanie best there with Janae Shinhoster and Lindsay Enders. Then you move over to conference USA. And that was the Allison Kime era of 2006 to 2008 leading them to the CUSA championship in 08 after Stephanie led them into 2005, a Sun championship. Uh, Natalie Land, 20, 2009 to 2012, two-time uh, NCAA tournament appearance in uh, as an at-large in 2010 and 2012. And then you kind of had the Shelby slash McKenzie Audis slash Kaylee Novak kind of slash that golden era mm-hmm. from 2013 on to like to the 2016 where the Knights won their two regular season championships in the American, a conference tournament championship at home in 2015, a 16th top 16 ranking in the country, 50 wins in 2015. Nobody will ever forget that. And uh, Shelby was a big part of that, as was Kaylee Novak, as you mentioned, and Mackenzie Otis and, and a million other players. But, uh, you know, surreal, man. Just surreal. It's yeah. just uh, it was pretty cool. So let's talk about this season in general, at least right now. Yeah. I think this is a you know, UCF right now, 17 and 15 with 
a gazillion freshmen as their pitching staff. Um, yeah, Cameron Tony was out there, um, pitched I thought pretty well, um, and Leah White had to come in in uh, in relief of her. But the Knights get a clutch hit from uh, Cassidy Brewer to get the win two to one. Now UCF dropped two out of three to Houston at home uh, to start the conference season. You get the win back midweek against North Florida. Now you go on the road. And the Knights have, I'm looking at the schedule right now, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Uh, their next seven games on the road, um, three at East Carolina, one at Florida Atlantic, three at Memphis before they finally come home for USF, a nationally televised game against USF on Thursday, April the 13th. This is following, what, 19 games in a row at home. So um, got to be road warriors now. This is, this is going to be a very tough stretch for this team right now. What is the situation here? What's the poss- what are the possibilities for UCF uh, in these next seven games? It's interesting. They had a lengthy road trip at the beginning of the year where they went to California and they went to Tuscaloosa and they went to Fort Myers and they actually played very well. They went, uh, I want to say they went five and three in that trip. And I wonder, this is such a young team, and it's not an excuse, it's a fact. It's such a young team. That's why I kind of chuckled, because I honestly, with young people, Jeff, and you know this, it's going to be up and down. You know, it's up and down. Some days going to be good, some not yeah. so good. It's just part of the growing pains process. And I know the highs are really high, the lows are really yeah. low. And, so yeah. you just have to kind of go game by game. I know it's cliche, but it is. You just got to let these girls kind of grow in their own maturation and their own tempo, if you will. And so it's that's why you know I'm, I'm not dodging the question, but I'm just being honest. It's hard because you don't, you know, from a game to game, I don't, you know, this is not a team like, you know, the last couple of years, it was easy to project, hey, they'll, they'll, they'll win this series and they'll sweep this team and they'll do, you, you can't do that with a young team because you just don't know what to expect on a daily basis. You can't, I mean, um, you know, you mentioned the Houston series. The Knights could have easily swept that series with a couple plays here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, some, but some youth kind of got in the way, um, you know. But that's life, you know, and that's softball and that's the sports. And that's, you know, especially when you have three freshman pitchers on your roster. I mean, they, you know, they're going to have to grow at their own pace. And, uh, you know, I thought that was encouraging what you saw from Cameron Tony and Aaliyah White against a very good hitting UNF team to hold them to one run. And uh, you hope they build on that for ECU. Uh, that'll be not an easy series going on the road. But there are some that want, I do wonder this out loud. And I'll be curious to see how they handle the road because I thought they played pretty well on the road earlier this year. Sometimes maybe with a young team, they might be better off playing on the road. Less distractions. Yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about your you know, family coming in and getting tickets and pass lists. And you don't have to worry about friends, you know, coming to the games and, and all that. Maybe sometimes you're on the road. You're just there with your play, your teammates. All those other distractions are a little bit more profound when you're, um, you know, when you're a, when you're a younger player, you know, it's, you know, you kind of it's almost like you like playing at home a little bit too much because, you know, you're maybe, about your friends maybe, coming over maybe. all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, I can see that. I, you know, that's what I'm wondering. We'll see. I mean, time will tell. That's the only thing I can think of, because, um, like I said, they played very well when they went up to California and they played well in Alabama and they played well in Fort Myers. So, you, you know, not that they didn't play well at home, but it was certainly up and down. But. So, yeah, you're not in your comfort. You're, there, you have to be more focused, more locked in. I'll, I'll be curious to see how they come. I, I don't know. I, uh, I I rather just focus on East Carolina for now and see what happens. I don't – you know, FAU is very good uh, in Boca. That will not be easy. And, and Memphis is a scrappy team. I think they're a sleeper team in the league that I don't think people are talking about. So, um, you know, it's just – it's it's youth, man. And you know this. I mean – uh, being a parent, you know, you know, your son, right? I mean, <laughs> there's days where he behaves perfectly and he's great and all that. And then there's days where you're like scratching yourself. Like, Oh my goodness. You know, this kid never going to figure it out. Right. <laughs> what is he doing? What's he thinking? Well, he's a kid. He doesn't know any better. He doesn't know what he's doing. So sometimes with these girls, you know, again, uh, the, they're freshmen and sophomore. They just got to grow into it and it'll come. It, it might come this weekend. It might come next weekend. It, it everybody's different. Some it clicks earlier than others, um, but you can't force it. You can't 
overreact to it. And I think that's my message. Don't overreact to specific results. It's not the end of the world if they lose a game a certain way or if they win a game a certain way. You just It's such a marathon. You just kind of let the maturation play out, and I think we'll see how they handle the road against ECU. The one thing I like is that's where the conference tournament will take place in May. So the fact that they'll get to play three games in there will help them in May for the conference tournament. So uh, I'm excited to see when they get back. They'll have that home game on ESPNU right. against – Yep. Uh, against USF, I think. Are you working that game? Are you working that game? I, Are you gonna be able, on? Give me a second, I'll double check. But yeah. uh, um, I, I'm hoping that I am. Um, but you know, Thursday night, right? I mean, that's you know, that's that's a pretty big spot. By the way, it's going to be student night. So yes, I am working that game. I am working that game on April the 13th. And uh, actually, I'm working. Uh, I'm working the. I'm working the Thursday and the Friday. So. I don't think I'm working the third. Again, the game is nationally televised on ESPNU, uh, so they're going to have my booth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not so, going to be there. Well, you'll be there. I'll but be, there. be there. I just yeah. So I might be like bothering you like every other inning. Like, hey, what is going on? What do you think? What do you know? <laughs> okay. I, I, you know, who knows? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I normally when I go to home games, I'm usually broadcasting. So it'll be one of those weird. I did this last year. It happened last year when uh, UCF was at home against Tulsa and the game was on the American digital network and it was Bernie Gunther and Allison Kime. And uh, mm-hmm. they told me, okay, you got the day off. And I'm like, so what do I do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wonder what you do. You just sit there and watch what, I mean, I, no, I, right, I feel well, uncomfortable I when I just sit there in the stands. It's like, I'm, why am I not no. doing anything? I hate this. Yes. <laughs> no, you just absolutely described how I felt. I was very uncomfortable. I didn't, you know, cause you know, as media, you don't cheer. You don't, you know, you're, you don't cheer. It's just your mindset. You can't. Right. So it's not like I can just flip a switch all of a sudden and say, yeah, you know, it doesn't, it's not. So, yeah, I mean, I sat with some family and friends and what, but I was, I was a nervous, I just had to move around. I couldn't, I, I just, it's very uncomfortable. It's yeah. a big series, obviously, but that'll be my, I, I, I end up wanting like, to, I end up wanting to eat something and I just end up stuffing my face full of hot dogs and. I, mean, I don't know if I'm going to do that either. I don't see myself doing that. <laughs> but maybe drinks. Maybe I'll get some soda or something. I don't know. A lot of it. Soda. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, re- re- oh, by the way, real quick, I wanted, to, um, I wanted to bring this up because when you look at the standings right now, um, Tulsa, by the way, off to a pretty good start. They're 23-10, and 3-0 and in the league. Um, beat, uh, beat USF all three. Uh, UCF obviously uh, one and two, Houston two and one, uh, Memphis at two and one as well. They uh, beat East Carolina two out of three. UConn still has yet to play a uh, conference game just yet. So anything on the American standings that catches your eye? Tulsa is very good. <laughs> yeah, in my opinion, they're the team to beat. They have experienced hitters and they have an experienced pitcher in Watson who's been around the block. She has improved immensely. I think right now she's the best pitcher in the league. And you look at Tulsa, they're playing very well. Coach Barfield's very well coached. And again, they have a combination of experienced hitters from that conference tournament championship team. They have enough hitters coming back, and they have experienced pitching coming back. That's the thing. UCF doesn't have a lot of experience, especially pitching, returning. USF does not have experience pitching that much returning or offensively. They got their issue mm-hmm. there from that standpoint. It's a young league, and Tulsa, I think, has the most experience, and I think they have the advantage. A, and Tulsa already took care of USF, sweeping them in Tampa. They host Houston. They host UCF. So I think Tulsa is the team to beat. After that, I think it's wide open. I mean, I think okay. Houston's a very improved ball club under Coach Besley in her first year, and I think Houston's certainly very – I was very impressed with them. I think it's wide open after that. But I, right now, I, I, I think Tulsa is definitely – uh, the team to beat because they have a mixture of enough experience offensively and pitching that I think will put them over. It will keep them over the top there in the conference. All right. Well, that'll be key to watch, especially with these next two road series coming up. Uh, let's switch over to baseball real quick. And UCF um, had a midweek game. Well, first of all, um, dropped two out of three against Dartmouth this past uh, weekend. Uh, but did finish up the weekend with a fifteen to nothing win. Beat Jacksonville uh, on Tuesday, ten to one. 
Uh, by the way, for uh, some uh, for the latest on UCF baseball news, make sure you check with blackandgoldbanneret.com because uh, Brian Murphy has been churning out some good baseball stuff of late following this team. The Knights right now 26th in the country uh, in terms of their ranking. I'll have to get the source of the ranking but there's because there's 1,800 polls in college baseball. But uh, beat Jacksonville 10 to 1. Um, the key here for UCF baseball is, like I said, they're 20 and 6. Great start. And now we're starting, we're starting conference play in, uh, uh, on Friday with a three game set against Houston. So here we go. This is the meat of the season now for UCF baseball. We're going to start to separate the men from the boys. And looking at the baseball standings in the American, um, you start out with Houston. That's a pretty, that's going to be a pretty tough, uh, tough matchup to start out. Houston at 19 and five overall, they won 11 games in a row. USF right now. And by the way, no one has started, uh, started conference play just yet. Um, but USF right now is the best record overall in the American. They're 23 and three, although I think USF's, uh, schedule has been quite soft and they've only played Florida state once they did beat them to their credit, but, um, a lot of home games. In fact, uh, looking at looking at what I'm seeing, they haven't even left the state of Florida yet uh, in their schedule. Um, they haven't played no. Florida uh, at all. Everybody else they played at Tampa. So I think that's a soft 23 and three that they're. Houston's at 19 and five. UCF is at 20 and six. So you're going by win percentage. UCF is third. Um, then you have East Carolina, Memphis, UConn, Cincinnati, Tulane. Um, this is going to be key for UCF. You know, you're starting off with a really tough opponent in Houston. Um, you're coming off a bit of a slide against actually a pretty good Dartmouth team. Usually, traditionally, a very good team out of the, out of the Ivy League. Um, at least you have Houston at home, and you get Stetson. And then you go to USF April seventh, eighth, uh, and ninth. So for Greg Lovelady's team, um, this is going to be uh, th- this is where you really start to find things out, right? I mean, I- I'm actually looking at this um, perspective. I think that I think that there's a possibility that you know maybe the, I'm nervous that they're going to come back to earth. I'm optimistic that they won't, but I, I think that this is a, to me this is almost like starting the whole season. Really, is starting the whole season all over again the way this is working? Don't you? Yeah, I, I this is where we find out. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the schedule is what it is. We're going to find out answers. Houston's a good team. We're going to find out answers. Finally, how, what's the team? Is they're good or they're not, you know, what we don't, we're going to find out some answers. Finally. I, I think, you know, I've kind of taken the wait and see approach and certainly they're improved in some areas, but there are some questions in other areas. So we finally get some answers in conference and you know, this league very well, having covered the conference tournament mm-hmm. last year, this is, it's a deep league. I think USF, I know, you're questioning their schedule, but I, I, they're they're healthier this year. Uh, they got some young, talented players under Coach Kingston there. I think they are improved. I think Houston's the best team in the league, possibly, uh, at least on paper. And I, it's a good league, and we'll see what they're, you know, we'll see what how good they have improved from last year. And you know, I think Coach Lovely has mentioned it a couple times. Hey, we've been exposed in certain th- situations. So uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing what you know, getting some answers. And that's usually what conf- conference is. All, when you get into conference play, conference play will always expose your weaknesses and and your and also will show your strengths. And I think that's what we'll learn. You know, the, the thing that I'm looking at as we head to the conference schedule is really where we are. All right, so team batting we're fourth in the conference, hitting two ninety five as a team. Team pitching we're third. Team ERA of two point three one. That's pretty good. Um, fielding we could be better, third from the bottom, but. Um, in terms of, you know, your qualified hitters, you know, we don't have too many guys up toward the top. You know, Luke Hamblin, by the way, is actually hitting pretty well, though. He's up at 361. Ryland Thomas at 360. Uh, and Matthew Mike at 345. Those guys are the ones who are going to be, um, you know, certainly leading the way in terms of the bats. I mean, I'm curious to see how, they, how they're going to continue. But uh, when we look at our, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, the pitching, you know, I think that everything's been spread out so nicely that, you know, I, I like to think that Coach Lovelady's strategy has been actually working to this point where you're going to have some fresher arms heading into the conference season. Um, that's going to be, I think, the real key is are you able to keep those arms relatively fresh? Um, we know how he's not afraid to use the bullpen. Uh, you know, in this in this last game 
against uh, Jacksonville is no exception. He, he kept the starter in there, Chris Williams, for five innings. He gave up five, scattered five hits, gave up one run, and pulled him 60 pitches. Thaddeus Ward came in there through 41 pitches in an inning and a third. Uh, gave up two hits, struck out a couple. And then it was Jason Barr and Bryce Tucker. And I was talking with uh, our good friend uh, Dean Smith in the softball um, press box today. We're talking a little bit of baseball, and and, and we kind of came to the agreement that Jason Barr and Bryce Tucker right now, we're, the way we're looking at them is is they're kind of like Mariano Rivera and John Wetland with the 96 Yankees. I mean, when they come in, it's it's good night, Irene, because you know they can shorten the game up by three innings if you use them right. And I think that's going to be the key for UCF. Will they be able to um, shorten the games with the bullpen and keep those guys fresh and keep the starters fresh as they head toward the postseason? We're going to find out. Like I said, conference will expose the truths and the myths and yep. what's right. That's the thing. I, I just want to see what they do in conference before I even you know make any evaluations. Let's just see what happens. Now we're going to get that. We're going to find out pretty quick uh, with UCF baseball schedule this uh, this month with Houston coming up uh, to start out the conference season. All right, we got a little bit of um, outside of the uh, the big sports uh, news here. Men's golf. How about Manuel Elvira? Uh, finishes the runner-up at the FAU Sloman Autism Invitational. Uh, led the Knights to a team championship. Uh, all four rounds even or better, uh, and that earned him American Athletic Conference uh, Player of the Week. So congrats to uh, Manuel. Um, this tournament was at the PGA National on the Squire course. This is, uh, this is a tough course that they were playing, uh, and he wins American Athletic uh, Conference um, golfer of the week. Before we get to track and field, I did have some uh, news that I, I did want to pass along. So Todd Dagenet, um just got word that he got a four-year contract extension. So he's going to stay at UCF uh, uh, for, for at least the next four years. And uh, he and I were trading some messages on Twitter. Todd is, uh, and I and I owe him a correction because I had initially thought that um, he was already the longest tenured UCF volleyball coach in terms of most seasons coached at UCF. This coming year, 2017, he will have that record all by himself because they uh, because Meg Collado coached at UCF for nine years, Todd's coached at UCF for nine years. Next year, next year will be year number ten. So uh, he will be UCF's um, longest tenured coach by year. Uh, as uh, on opening day of 2017. Interestingly enough, he's within 25 wins of becoming UCF's all-time winningest volleyball coach. Um, he's got he's right on the heels of both Laura Smith and Lucy McDaniel, and that's uh, and that's all time, man. Um, they name stuff after you <laughs> when when you start doing that. Um, 23 wins behind Laura Smith. Uh, so Todd right now at 165. This is according to my unofficial count. Laura Smith has 188, and I think Laura is – I think Todd is actually third. Laura, uh, Lucy McDaniel's just behind Laura Smith for number one all-time at UCF, um, uh, winning his coaches in UCF volleyball. So nice to have a good season this year. Todd could very well end up the winning his coach in uh, UCF volleyball history by the end of this year. So – um, obviously I'm partial because, you know, I've known Todd since he got here and you know how much of a volleyball fan I am. I, I, I know, you know, how good of a coach he is and I really do hope he gets, you know, that I, I have no reason to suspect that he won't eventually get that. If not this year, certainly next year, uh, or n- not this coming year, certainly the year after that, I should say, but, um, but that's going to be fun. Um, to sort of keep an eye on that. And and the job that he has done with that program is nothing short of outstanding. So congrats to Todd on the contract extension. Uh, certainly uh, well-deserved. Uh, track and field. Um, they will be heading up to Gainesville for the Pepsi Florida Relays this weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, March 30th through uh, April the 1st. That's a big Southern meet that they're going to be going for. So keep an eye for some good news on that. Uh, women's tennis right now updated. They're at 12-6. and six. Uh, they have a. They're coming off a win over Milwaukee. Uh, that was back on March 21st. We talked about that last week. But they got a Saturday match down in Miami against Florida International. Florida International is pretty good. 
Uh, that's on April the 1st. That's on uh, this coming uh, Saturday. And then they have one more home match April 16th. That's against USF. And then it's uh, time for the American Championships uh, starting a- Wednesday, April 19th at the uh, USTA National Campus down at uh, Lake Noda. Men's tennis right now, 11-5, and five, but they got a, a, another top 30 win uh, at Florida State in Tallahassee. Beat the Seminoles 4-1. to one. Uh, They got a match, of course, against USF coming up on Saturday, April the 1st. Uh, then they're at East Tennessee State and at UNC Wilmington before the American Men's Championships at Lake Nona on April the 20th. But how about that? Another top, uh, another top 30 win for UCF tennis uh, over Florida State, Eric Lopez. Yeah, Mr. Roddick's doing his yep. thing, man. That's what he does. You see, he's climbing the rankings, real. man. Number forty-seven right now. All of a sudden, and we're start, and we've seen that we're seeing the seeds get planted. Are now, aren't we? Third UCF, top, third UCF opponent in the top thirty that the Knights have beaten this season. It's a good resume builder. Yeah, and I'll, t- I mean, I'll take that. And, and the other thing too, uh, oh, uh, Danny Kersnerman won the American Athletic uh, Conference Player of the Week award. Um, he was in the number two position, one and zero in his singles, one and zero in doubles, um, defeating uh, number twenty, number one twenty five ranked uh, player uh, guy Ira Iradukunda of Florida State, um, and that won him this, and that won him the actual um, the, or helped contribute to UCF's win. And uh, by the way, he is listen to this, Eric. He is. Um, Fifteen and one in singles this year, and seven and two in doubles. So he's paired with Corey Lovett in the uh, in the doubles, and Danny's been excellent this year for UCF. He's really been a revelation. So that's that's fun to see. So that's our update on tennis. Um, so right now, here we are. We're we're heading we're heading headlong towards baseball and softball now that basketball's a wrap. Um, but we got a lot of stuff coming up. It's going to be a, a pretty busy time of year, Eric. What are you working on uh, the rest of this week? I've just locked in on Tuck and O'Neill, producing Tuck and O'Neill, as I do weekdays on 1080. So, uh, you know, it'll be a little bit following softball from the, from afar. So that'll be what I'll be doing uh, and then going from there. So it should be fun. That'll be a nice for a weird weekend where I don't actually have to go to a, do a broadcast. Yeah, we've got it. Let's see. We've got it's kind of all of a sudden it's a this dead weekend, at least for me. I mean, there's you know, there's no. Um, you know, there's no softball. I'm not going to be doing PA obviously until the USF tournament comes up, uh, or until the USF, uh, series. Of course, you know, we're going to be watching baseball coming up and, uh, and one last note, you know, (laughs) this kind of quietly happened with all the hoopla surrounding basketball. Spring football is underway at UCF all of a sudden. And, uh, Knights had their first practice practices. Practices are closed, right? Yep. Yeah. You can't get in. We have no idea. What in the hell is happening at UCF football other than practice is underway? <laughs> it's kind of weird. Yeah, I got news to break it to people. Even if it was open, you're really not going to learn much. Yeah, I mean, break. that's that's true. But everyone always speculates, oh, what's the quarterback situation? Who's, you know, what's the depth chart look like? And I agree with you. I'm like, uh, I really just don't care. It's spring football for crying out loud. Yeah. Although we're going to have, That'll- what is it, Lauren Elena is going to be performing at the, uh, Sure. UCF Festival Spring Game scheduled right. for April twenty second. Yeah, sure, that's, that's enjoy. That's fine. That, that works. You know, I mean, it's, you know, nice little day off. I'll be UCF. out. Of, I will be out of town, so I will not be. Oh, you're out of town. Where are you going to be? I will be broadcasting USF Memphis for the American Digital Network that Saturday. That, that Saturday of the Spring Game. So I, uh, I right. will miss another. I will miss another Spring Game. So I'll, I'll have to depend on you for that one, Eric. The Spring Game <laughs> will miss you. Okay, I don't think so, but <laughs> I think it's it's fair, fair to say. Uh, and then uh, let's see what else we have. Uh, oh, I, I, one last note. I wanted to get this in because, um, you know. It, <laughs> Uh, it's it's funny that I mentioned this because uh, well no I wouldn't say funny but I wanted to mention this because you know to me Becky Kramer the, the head rowing coach would you believe that I, I on one weekend I actually ran into her at uh, at a park I was taking my son out and I ran into her at a park and uh, and we caught up a little bit on UCF rowing uh, they have the Sunshine State Invitational in Sarasota UCF rowing does uh, March thirty first and uh, April first so that should be. Uh, so keep an eye out on that. UCF, by the way, has uh, 
as their next home meet over at the Intercollegiate Rowing Center will be April 29th against Miami uh, at 9 a.m. That's a Saturday, uh, and that's the one right before they start the American Championship. So uh, good luck to uh, Becky Kramer and uh, UCF Rowing as well for uh, their upcoming meet um, at uh, at Sarasota. And that's before they have a couple couple serious road trips. They're going out to Sacramento, California for a couple days. You're going up to Clemson. Clemson's pretty good. So uh, so I wanted to make sure that you know that you know we mentioned Becky and her staff out there who are um, who work hard out and really what a really beautiful facility out there and um, you know they don't get enough pub and and you know considering the job that Becky has done at UCF um, we should you know it's something that we should be paying attention to as fans because um, you know there's a lot of people who are involved. In uh, in in UCF rowing, it's a huge sport in terms of numbers, uh, and a lot of non scholarship athletes who work very hard at their craft, and um, they deserve that. So, so as we wrap up here, Eric Lopez, what are you looking forward to the most? Baseball conference opener against Houston. Looking, seeing, finding some answers there. Seeing how yeah. softball handles the road environment. I mean, that's going to be the storylines. Those are going to be forward. the two big storylines. We're going to be. I'm hoping that we'll have Brian Murphy on um, next week. Uh, at the very uh, at the very soonest, uh, mm-hmm. and then we'll also you know and and I want and and we'll see you know it's as the as the spring sort of progresses we'll have uh, some guests to sort of debrief uh, from basketball. Uh, we'll have uh, maybe we'll talk we'll talk a little football here and there with the spring game and whatnot. Uh, I place about as much <laughs> uh, focus on the spring game as I do on National Signing Day, which is to say not a whole heck of a lot, but. Um, but it's something that we should be interested in. And then, you know, and then it's, we're heading towards the summertime. We'll see how that goes from there. So, all right, Eric Lopez, thanks for joining me, man. Love, Jeffrey. Take it easy. All right, and thank you for joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Remember, you can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Subscribe to us via email. And also look up Black and Gold Banneret on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. Uh, also follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon and Eric Lopez at Eric Lopez Elo. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Don't forget to leave us a review there. Also, SoundCloud, Google Play, and tune in as well. For Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banner at Podcast. We'll catch you next week. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.